Hello you guys and welcome to season one, episode six of Milky Tea Kids, the podcast. How is everyone? I hope you all had a good week. Mine was kind of up and down, but I think it ended on a high. So I'm in pretty good spirits, still keen for Christmas, but not as keen on hearing the news of the second wave of coronavirus. Please, can we be safe, guys? Like, I know it's festive and we want to go out and have fun, but we are still in the middle of a pandemic, a panoramic, a Pythagorean theorem, a Pomeranian, and it's very much real regardless of what you may think. So let's respect everyone's space. I can't believe I'm saying this on the podcast, but wear your mask, social distance, wash your hands. Same song we've been singing and hearing all year long. Let's not forget okay and just have some good clean fun before i get into today's episode i feel like i have to give a bit of background i guess as some of you may know i am very much a true crime junkie (laughs) i hate that word but it's like my number one interest i find it fascinating and honestly just the most interesting thing ever like i can talk about true crime (laughs) for hours upon hours I can consume it for hours upon hours pretty much makes up maybe 80% of the content that I consume like I mentioned in my very first episode I only ever listen to true crime podcasts and aside from a few vlogs couple cooking videos on YouTube the majority of my watch history is crime with that said I am very much aware that not everyone is into it and I know my listenership is probably more into the lifestyle personal topic focused realm of content and not the true crime stuff but honestly it's season one and I'm trialing a whole lot of different topics and structures to see what you guys like to hear what you respond to and what I like to record which is why I've done a few topic focused episodes and some more personal so it's really been mixed bag and I kind of like doing it all but because crime is my passion not in like a weird (laughs) not like a criminal sense I figured why not try my hand at an episode I've never ever even attempted a true crime recording so I could be really shitty and not even upload this I have a feeling this might be my most favorite episode yet simply because of how much time and effort and research I've put into it so I hope you enjoy and listen through to the end of both parts this will be a two-parter so definitely definitely subscribe and tune in and just keep an eye on my story so you can catch episode 7 aka part 2 of the case. One last thing before we start talking about the actual case, I think it's a must to give like a disclaimer slash trigger warning. This episode will involve descriptions of violence, femicide, guns, blood. If you can't stomach those things, please feel free to stop listening now or at any point throughout the episode I won't be angry (laughs) I'll be back soon with my usual content I still love you however if you do decide to stick around keep that in mind I don't want to traumatize anyone (laughs) so why of all the cases I could have picked did I pick this one well 
three reasons. Number one being the fact that it's a South African case, possibly the biggest in our history. And although I've watched, listened to, and read other creators' versions of the story, they aren't South African. And even though this case was huge globally, I still feel like I could bring a uniquely South African perspective and hopefully I can do it justice. The second reason is that although I did give that disclaimer just now, this case is definitely not the most violent, gruesome, bloody I could have picked. It does obviously involve a murder, but for those of you who aren't maybe so well-versed in true crime, it's like a little stepping stone to get your feet wet if you are interested. Nothing gratuitous or disrespectful will be said about anyone involved, especially not the victim and her family, because at the end of the day, this was about getting justice for her and for them. It's not for our entertainment. It's not for my amusement. I just find it interesting. And thirdly, Um, I think we were all born and alive to witness this case and the trial in real time. I think often when I hear about a 30, 40, 50, 100 year old case, it's easy to feel disconnected from it because I wasn't born or present to watch it unfold. But this feels extremely close to home and I do feel weirdly protective over it when I watch other journalists or creators from other countries cover it because this literally happened in our backyard and I'm pretty sure I followed this trial day in day out. It was captivating. Those are the reasons why I decided to tell you about the case of Oscar Pistorius and Riva Steenkamp in today's episode. Let's get into it. It's worth mentioning that not much is publicly known about Reva's childhood and upbringing, so the majority of what I'm about to tell you is from internet sources. She was quite a private person, and obviously her family wasn't really in the spotlight before, so I'm not going to go into too much detail about their private lives, just out of respect. Reva Rebecca Steenkamp was born on the 19th of August, 1983, in Cape Town to her South African father, Barry, and her English mother, June, meaning she had a dual citizenship throughout her life. She was South African British. Reva had two older siblings named Adam and Simone. The family moved to PE or Port Elizabeth where Reva attended a school by the name of St. Dominic's Priory. I had never heard that word before, Priory. She started modeling at around the age of 14 and although we know Reva to be this striking blonde, she was naturally dark-haired with these bluey-greeny eyes and she was undeniably beautiful. She went on to study law at the University of PE, all the while modeling on the side to make money to help her parents and contribute to her fees. She graduated with a Bachelor of Law degree in 2005 and would go on to work as a paralegal, still modeling on the side, but her end goal was always to be an attorney, a lawyer, practicing, and that was her dream. She was literally the epitome of beauty and brain. Reva was from quite humble beginnings and honestly she just lived a very normal life. She loved animals which is something we have in common. 
because apparently I can't go one episode without mentioning how much I love animals and she loved her family things that would remain constant throughout her life she had this desire to help people in everything she did and obviously I didn't know her personally but she just had this humility about her her mom was her best friend and she supported her parents financially and she did plan to do so for the rest of her life it seemed like she was very independent reliable and she just had her head screwed on tight she knew exactly what she wanted out of life. Riva was an anti-bullying activist as well as an advocate for campaigns against domestic violence. She had actually been in an emotionally abusive relationship herself and seen those closest to her go through similar situations and because of this she dreamt of establishing like a shelter for victims of domestic violence, both women and children. On the 13th of February 2013, she retweeted a tweet urging people to wear black on the Friday of that week to show solidarity against gender-based violence. This was the day before she died. Now, we're all very much aware of the GBV problem in our country, and I think simply calling it a problem is like the biggest understatement of life and I'm not really planning to go into every single one of the stats today but the numbers are alarming and I think if you're a normal rational person with with a functioning brain you know that it's a men's issue. I found this article from the Times Live that said the government gender-based violence and femicide command center alone recorded more than 120,000 victims in the first three weeks of lockdown and that the call center was receiving between 500 and 1,000 calls per day. And I know those aren't 2013 statistics, but when you think about the fact that GBV and domestic violence are hardly reported by victims and that the stats increase so rapidly, it's hard to get an accurate gauge of the state of it. And I suppose it doesn't really matter when the statistics were recorded, just that they show that men are killing and attacking women at a disproportionate rate in this country, which is the central problem. Riva was actively trying to do her part in preventing this and protecting victims. It says a lot about her character and the type of woman she was and that she really just wanted to make a difference. I also think that's part of why I felt compelled to retell the story today. It's rooted in these everyday socio-political and socio-economic struggles like GBV and status and those factors are still very much relevant in true crime today but I digress. Both of her parents rode horses so all her life Reva was the horse girl in school. We all had one but she was really good at riding and she loved it. That was until her final year of varsity when she actually fell off a horse and broke her back. She literally had to relearn how to walk due to the severity of her injuries and although she did end up making a full recovery it showed her just how precious and short life is so she really put her all into everything she would go on to do. On the 4th of November 2012 Reva Steenkamp meets Oscar Pistorius at lunch with a mutual friend by the name of Justin Devaris. The two of them hit it off in Oscar's words and were immediately attracted to one another. After lunch, Oscar tells Justin that he doesn't have a date to the South African Sports Awards later that day and that he needed someone because he'd essentially RSVP'd with a plus 
Justin and Justin's like why don't you ask Reva and Oscar's a little hesitant about this because he doesn't think Reva would be down at such short notice but he asked her anyway and she's like I'll be ready in an hour and a half and that was that they looked great together at the awards and stayed up talking till late that night. They went out to coffee the next morning and literally saw each other every single day for almost the next week. So things did feel quite intense and fast between them, but they just seemed very drawn to one another and that does happen. Reva then flies to Jamaica to film the show Tropica Island of Treasure, which was aired a few days after her death as a tribute. When she lands back home, things with Oscar pick up exactly where they left off. Oscar Pistorius was born on the 22nd of November, 1986, making him 26 years old and three years younger than the 29-year-old Reva when they met. He was born in Johannesburg to Henke and Sheila Pistorius with an older brother, Carl, and younger sister, Amy. The family was quite religious and tight-knit. Oscar was born with a condition called fibula hemimelia, which is the absence of the fibula bone. Just in case you need to brush up on a bit of bio and anatomy, because I know I did while researching, the fibula is basically the calf bone, like it joins together at the knee with the tibia bone, and they help to stabilize you by supporting the ankle and lower leg muscles. So Oscar was born without this in both of his legs, which meant that his parents had a big decision to make. Either their son would grow up and spend the rest of his life in a wheelchair or they would consent to the amputation of both of his legs below the knee which would allow him to be able to live more freely and independently with the assistance of prosthetics. Of course they chose the latter and Oscar's legs were amputated when he was 11 months old. He attended Constantia Primary and then Pretoria Boys High where he absolutely excelled in sports particularly rugby and water polo. He also played tennis and did a bit of club wrestling. He was just so, so good at sports and he was very active despite his disability. And he credits this to his mom. He said she never treated him like he was disabled and never allowed him to feel like he was at a disadvantage. Sheila would pass away when Oscar was just 15 years old. In 2003, when he was about 17 years old, Oscar sustained a knee injury which put him out of playing rugby and basically ended his dreams of becoming a professional rugby player. That is what he wanted to do. Just the following year though, he's introduced to running and it's clear that this boy is good. It's around this time that he gets his first pair of running blades and not a year after sustaining his injury, Pistorius enters the 2004 Paralympics in Athens and he wins. He takes the gold medal for the 200 meter and wins the bronze for the 100 meter race. He was actually competing against single amputees when he was classified as a double amputee, but he was just that good. And in doing this, he set the world record of 21.9 seconds in the 200 meter race. His career at this point was on the up. He was doing really well. In 2005, he sets another world record and finishes sixth in the 400 meter South African championship, which by the way, wasn't even for disabled people. His competition was all fully able-bodied and he still did really well. 
he would participate in many more races within the next couple of years and again he would do really well he was undeniably the best at what he was doing he goes on to move to pretoria and study a bcom in business management with sports sciences at up or the university of pretoria in 2006. The thing about Oscar's everyday life is that no one really paid attention to the fact that he was an amputee. It just wasn't a setback for him. He was just living his life. He was even being considered for the South African Olympic team, not Paralympic. He wasn't selected, but honestly, just having your talent recognized on that level is massive. People were also unsure whether or not his blades gave him an unfair advantage over other able-bodied runners because they thought they served to like boost him forward in a way as opposed to natural ankles and natural feet the blades were literally designed to make him a strong athlete whereas able-bodied athletes only had what they were born with which is an understandable argument but it's quite ableist in itself it wasn't just about the blades oscar had to have an insane amount of upper body strength and power in his thighs to be able to do what he did Besides, Oscar wasn't beating his able-bodied opponents. His blades just put him on sort of a level playing field with his competition. But a ruling was made by the IAAF, which stands for the International Association of Athletics Federations, which I do think included the Olympics, that banned any technical devices that incorporated springs, wheels, and basically anything that provides an advantage, in inverted commas, when competing and this frustrated Pistorius it stopped him from being able to participate in any IAA would you say IAAF instead of IAAF like that's so annoying it stopped him from being able to participate in any IAAF competitions against able-bodied runners. Pistorius knew he was one of the best at what he was doing he was one of if not the best Paralympic athletes in the world so it kind of felt like where to from here what's the point you know and he wanted to race against able-bodied athletes and not be put in this box that pretty much told him how fast he could run after some back and forth and an appeal the decision was revoked with the immediate effect in 2008 and once again he was allowed to compete Pistorius became the first ever amputee runner to compete at the Olympic Games and although he didn't win, him being there was a political statement. He then goes back to the Paralympics and he smashes it. For a time, this man was one of the biggest stars on the continent. He's given award after award, offered endorsement after endorsement. He's listed as one of the time 100 most influential people in 2008 and again in 2012. Everyone was talking about him. But friends and family would say they started to see the first kind of changes in Oscar's personality when he comes back after he does what is essentially a talk show tour in America. He came back very arrogant. He would tell them to their faces that he thought he was better than them because he had this fame. He was always partying and basically lived off energy drinks it was a far cry from the man his mother had raised him to be he took that 
you can do anything mentality and ran in the opposite direction with it and I think he just went too far he also started slacking off at training and being rude to his trainer he was arriving late and telling the trainer that I pay you without me you wouldn't have a job so I can do what I want and of course he's this young single good-looking guy with money so he was popular with the ladies and never short of a model on his arm he would exclude Exclusively date blonde models. That was Oscar's type. In February of 2009, though, Pistorius is actually involved in a boating accident on the Vol River. He's driving the boat back to the shore, but he plows straight into a pier on the river. A pier. I said a pier, by the way, not like a pier into a P-I-E-R. He's thrown headfirst right into the steering wheel and sustained some serious head and facial injuries. Now, if you know the first thing about true crime and killers, you know about the link criminologists have made between head injuries and violent behavior. So many serial killers sustained some form of head trauma in their early lives. Kemper, Berkowitz, Ramirez, who sustained two, by the way. Um, who else? Sorry, I'm just thinking of them off the top of my head. Gacy, Fish, <laughs> you get the point. Anyway, there's just some really fascinating research looking into the link because it's thought that most of the accidents these killers were in caused some trauma to the frontal lobe, which is the front part, obviously. <laughs> of the brain that controls a person's impulse control, their aggression, reasoning, and emotional regulation, which could potentially cause them to lose control of or damage these cognitive functions, either temporarily or permanently. So the changes described by Oscar's friends and family after this boating accident could possibly have something to do with the shift in his personality, or maybe he was just a bit of an asshole in general and having the money attention fame made that worse possibly or maybe it was the trauma of being in that accident and just having a near-death experience his friends and family started to notice that oscar couldn't hold down a long-term relationship and his girlfriends would go on to report some serious anger issues and a short temper he had quite a short fuse and was just generally changed as a person just a side note i know it feels like i'm delving much deeper into oscar's story rather than reva's and admittedly it does feel strange to tell you guys his story and his achievements but in no way am i glorifying him or celebrating him or trying to come off like i care more about his life than i do reva's it's just that there's obviously way more information available on oscar as such massive public figure in South Africa because he was famous before and after what happened you know and so everything I've mentioned so far about him is purely facts he was successful and we can't hide from that it's the reason why this case blew up the way it did to the public Oscar and Reva seemed to be a great couple perfect couple inseparable and so in love but they had their problems as every relationship does as I mentioned earlier, Riva was a strong, independent woman. So she didn't just want to be known as Oscar's new girl, as 
all of the girls before her. A couple months after they met, so January 2013, Oscar was already looking for places in Joburg where Reva lived with her best friend's family to buy. In a text, Reva tells him, I'm just very set on maintaining my own independence and concentrating on my career this year and giving you your space to train and be the best you can be. Please don't see this as me distancing myself. Which is a perfectly rational thing to say. This to me is what a grown woman who has always been a hard worker and held her own would say. Maybe Oscar was being a bit clingy, wanting to move closer to her or in together. And she was just set on the idea of being individuals who were in a relationship rather than becoming one person inside of that. Does that make sense? On the 13th of February, 2013, at 10pm, Reva messages her best friend's parents, letting them know that, like, it's late and that she's too tired to drive all the way back to Joburg and that she's just going to spend the night at Oscar in Pretoria. So, no one can be entirely certain about what exactly happened that night, leading into the early hours of the 14th, because... It was just the two of them in that house. And of course, we only have Oscar's word to go on. But what we do know is that in the early hours of Valentine's Day of 2013, Oscar Pistorius fatally shot his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp, an action that would become the most talked about and sensationalized of the decade. We'll talk more about the nuances and arguments for and against in part two but for now let's look at the facts most of which i'm taking directly from the horse's mouth at trial so oscar fired four times shooting reba three times through the ensuite bathroom door and i'm no gun expert i have very mixed opinions on guns but oscar had quite the collection he was obsessed with guns and was somewhat of a collector much like many many south africans i know we love to highlight the gun control laws or lack thereof in the u.s but we definitely have a gun problem as a country ourselves which is a story for another day but the type of bullets in the gun oscar used to kill reva essentially break into small pieces inside the target's body to cause maximum damage that's what they were designed to do so even if Reva didn't die from her wounds she would have been in a very bad way I mean you don't really stand a chance against a weapon like this some serious ammo you guys they were actually banned in South Africa in the 90s but made their way back to the markets under a different name but they are very dangerous especially at close range which Pistorius did shoot Reva at at just 29 years old Reva Stian dies at the scene paramedics try to revive her but at that point she is sadly gone there was never any doubt about who killed Reva as soon as Pistorius was apprehended and in police custody he admitted to shooting her so this case isn't about whodunit mystery whatever it's more of a murder versus manslaughter type thing which we will get into in part two don't worry i will explain everything all these words that you heard in court and all the latin that was being thrown around the legal jargon mm -mm, i will explain it all okay 
I will explain everything. It's a little bit hard to understand. Pistorius claimed he thought he had fallen victim to a home invasion and that Riva was an intruder. And at first, people believed him. As South Africans, we are all too familiar with our crime stats. I mean, how often are phones, handbags, cars stolen? How often do you hear about a burglary or a shooting? Initially, it was thought that the intruder story was the truth and that it was just the worst tragedy, the worst thing that could have happened and just a very unfortunate accident. And that does happen. But as more details were uncovered by the investigation, public opinion began to change. Part two will be an analysis of whether or not Pistorius truly believed this and shot out of self-defense or if he murdered Riva in cold blood, knowing she was behind the door. That brings us to the end of part one of the case. At first, I was not expecting this to be two parts long, but with the amount of information available, I just decided let me break it down and not have this be one super episode that was hours long plus I just thought it'd be easier to follow structured like this we'll take a look at the trial as a whole the evidence the verdict the sentencing and even hear some actual audio from the trial so stay tuned for that it should be up next week and it's going to be really interesting the meat and potatoes of this case is really its case files like that's when it gets good slightly different from my usual slightly a little maybe maybe like a teeny tiny bit um but i enjoyed it again stay safe i love you all so much thank you for listening and until next time don't miss me too much bye guys (laughs) 